Welcome to Across the Gun Counter. I'm your host, Joe Riva, joined by my co-host, Tyler Weaver. All right, and we are back with another topic for you this week, and it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit more philosophical, if you will. Would you agree, Tyler? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this topic is, I want to say, what is a gun? And we're going to be talking a little more about not just what is a firearm in nature, but what kind of a gun could really mean its purpose, a bunch of different things. And, and what what sparked this topic, Joey? <laughs> <laughs> so what sparked this topic was actually the other day I was at work and I had some customers walking around and they were they were kind of all over the place and they were talking about a they were looking at a twenty five auto I believe it was and the yeah, guy goes yeah. <laughs> hey you know the, believe it or not there is a there is still a good cult I don't want to say a good cult following but a good following for twenty five auto pistols and pocket pistols mm-hmm. hey I just had two pocket pistols in the shop. One of them was a 25 auto. That's right. Yeah, you actually did have a few of them. Mm-hmm. And so the guy had said something along the lines of, uh, you should get this. And someone, he goes, nah, you know, I don't need that. I want to get some, I want to get something bigger. I want something with a more stopping power, like a 10 millimeter or 45. And the guy kind of just said, well, a gun's a gun. And he goes, yeah, try taking down a bear with that thing. It won't. And yeah, I kind of laughed because he was he was right, you know, and just because a firearm is that a firearm, there's there's a lot more to it, you know, depending on the caliber, depending on the size, it could play a much different role and what it is capable and what it's not capable of. You know, it could be a little more of a just a collector piece, could be a little more of a everyday carry piece or a duty gun. You just don't care if it gets the, you know, the living crap eaten out of it. Yeah, and you always hear that that saying, oh, you know, a gun is a tool. Yes, I believe some guns are meant to be tools. Others are, you know, they have other purposes. You know what I mean? So I don't I don't feel like every firearm falls under one specific category. You know? Exactly. A gun is not just a gun. I mean, just look at all the variety. Let's look at let's look at firearms in just a historical context, okay? Muzzle loaders you know, from a couple hundred years ago, they're not the same as the firearms we have today and how they were made is much different than how firearms are made today. And they may offer some similarities and we've learned a lot from the production of them over the years. And at the same time, we've also lost a little bit with the production too. Like older firearms to me are more of, I don't want to say pieces of art, but they are more historical in nature. So they bring a another provenance about them that something, some of the modern stuff just does not have. And that's why I collect military surplus. And you always hear me talking about military surplus is because these rifles, like if these rifles could talk, I mean, what would they say? Yeah, I mean, you could even you can even get into that with like a a lot of the antique firearms. I mean, if you are going back to like uh, flintlocks and whatnot, a lot of the the gunsmiths, the gun makers were localized. So, you know, if you wanted a firearm, well, it was either being made in your area or it was traded, you know, you were trading goods for it from people that were bringing it from their area. You know what I mean? So exactly. it, it really ties into the local history of it and just the, the artisans that were building them. And you even get that today, you know, especially over in like London and stuff like that, where you have very well-known gun makers. Oh, yeah. I mean, even as a gunsmith, I'm sure you can say you've seen different how, you know, how gunsmiths do things differently across the board and when you talk locally too it's funny you know you and i both had went to on separate occasions to jacobsburg park 
that's mm-hmm. local to us. And they actually have a museum in there and they actually show a, this is really cool actually what they do is, and I'm not really even into muzzle loaders and everything, but they show a bunch of different muzzle loaders and all the different styles of how the different gunsmiths of that day made their, their rifles. And there was one or two in particular that I believe you and I had actually discussed a while ago where they had actually, I believe it was the powder trap. Or Again, I know nothing about muzzle loaders. I mm-hmm. They might as well not even be guns to me. <laughs> joking, oh, joking, aside, shame. Uh, joking aside. Joking <laughs> aside. Joking aside. Joking aside. No, I honestly, I know, I know nothing about muzzle loaders. So I would uh, honestly love to be educated a little more about them one day. And there was the, I believe it was the powder trap or something for holding the powder in the back of the rifle correct me if I'm wrong there and there was a couple gunsmiths who had it it was like more horizontal rather than I believe it was a vertical kind of trap and that was done because they the one guy was an apprentice off the other and that was just his style of doing it where everyone else the norm was doing that one they had kind of a more okay. vertical for that powder trapper again I'm not 100% sure with muzzle loaders. I'm, I'm trying to think what that. you mean by powder trapper like a, something to store maybe it was something to store like the, the powder like the patch box in the back Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. The patch. Box. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because typically, no, like back then, yeah, back then in the stock, you would have like a little patch box where they would keep their like pre-cut patches and stuff like that. And yeah, typically you'll see it like horizontally, I guess, like in line with the stock. Yeah, and there was one that like went a little bit vertical. It was like a slight different trapdoor, and I thought that was just really cool because it was mm-hmm. the, like you said, the more artesian. There was a little more design to it, and yep, a little more personal. You know? Exactly. And that kind of gave guns, especially, I guess, depending on where you had them made, a little more flavor to them, a little yep. more personality yep. to them. And even in Pennsylvania, we have a rich history with that, too. Everyone knows the Kentucky long rifle, but any Pennsylvania... It's really the Pennsylvania uh, long rifle. Yep, 100%. <laughs> and because uh, Kentucky wasn't even a state then. Yeah, and most of... Uh, what was it? I believe it got the name after... Oh, was it Daniel Boone? I believe took a bunch of Pennsylvania long rifles with them to Kentucky. Somebody, I'm I'm not 100% on the history, but yeah, pretty much he took Pennsylvania long rifles and that's where it got the the nomenclature Kentucky long rifle. Mm. But uh if you really look into like the history with Pennsylvania, there were a few different schools for teaching gunsmithing and they all had their own style of stock. So when you get into muzzle loaders, you can, you know, tell about what area of Pennsylvania it came from based on the shape of the stock, which is really fascinating. And there, there's other features, but it's just cool how, like, localized it was. So to that point, too, we're talking about how they were localized and these gunsmiths did their, did their different, you know, styles. For these gunsmiths, it was more than just making a firearm. It was a lifestyle, which mm-hmm. is kind of... Another thing with it comes to what is a gun is, what does a gun mean to you? Like something I know Tyler kind of yelled at me jokingly. I had accidentally called uh, guns a hobby instead of a lifestyle. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it's, you know, and that really joking aside, it's, it's, it's really true. It's for a lot of us, it's more of a lifestyle. It's not just a hobby. For some people, it might be as simple as my gun is my tool to go to work. And as a... I don't know, all these law enforcement officer or security guard, for instance. They may just own a firearm just because it's their it's what they have to do for work as part of their agency. They might not have anything against guns or they might not be really pro gun. They might just have a gun as it's it's what it is. It's a tool to them. They they yeah. have no real attachment to it. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I draw a lot of parallels between firearms and cars a lot because the mm-hmm. industries just as a whole are very similar. But when you think about it, like, okay, 
people that have a fast car that's just a hobby and they're not really into the lifestyle, you can get yourself into trouble really quick. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But oh, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of times it st- it may may start out as a hobby, and then progressively you just get more interested in it and you dive down the rabbit hole. Oh, ex- I mean. That's that's very common for I don't know how many people with guns. I say a gun is like a potato chip. You can't have just one. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they're they're straight up lying to you. <laughs> and honestly, I've I think only maybe a handful of times have I ever met someone who's really come into the shop and actually just bought one gun and then they were one and done. Mm-hmm. Almost every single person they just they need a nightstand gun. Yeah, you know there there are some people I have seen a couple people who have come in and purchased firearms and they've been like, I'll be honest with you, I'm really not a fan of guns, but my life was threatened or, you know, so-and-so was beating on me or they just got an abusive relationship or whatever. They don't always tell me their story. Sometimes they will. Mm-hmm. You'd be amazing how much people talk sometimes. Working at a gun counter sometimes can almost be like a bartender. And I could get that, yeah. And I mean that in both a good and bad way, more more a good way because it, it helps open my eyes to a lot of other people's situations too, and I can yes. learn learn from them as well. You know, the world isn't as black and white as people make it out to be. Oh yeah, and and so for me, a firearm means a lot. Like it's it's more it is a lifestyle. I I love guns. I work with guns. I have guns. You know, in my house, I go to the range. You know, shoot for fun. I play video games with guns. Guns guns are everywhere in my life. But some people, their interaction with firearms is a little more apprehensive. They might have more of a bad experience with them. And working at the gun counter, it's kind of my part of my job, I guess, or duty, I guess, as uh, an ambassador to the Second Amendment to show you that a gun is more than just a gun and why I want you to come back and get something else. And not just for a profit standpoint, but because I want you to be part of the the Second Amendment community and the gun community. And so with that in mind, someone who does come in with that apprehensive mindset, even if they don't get more into it, I that's their purpose. They, they, they have a purpose in what a gun is for them. Mm-hmm. And plus, you never, you never really know where that gun's going to end up after them. Because let, let's face it, 90 what it's probably probably around 90 percent of the guns in circulation are going to outlive the original owner oh absolutely look at look at how many guns we have around today from the turn of the century you know early 1900s what's interesting to note about that is actually i've noticed a lot of estate sales coming up for firearms like a lot more and they've been stuff that i absolutely love the military surplus the older guns Mm -hmm. i noticed one auction recently was a lot of pocket pistols yeah and I was kind of thinking to myself, why are we having these, like a lot of these collections popping up with all this stuff? And it kind of dawned on me that a lot of these guys that collected this stuff, they're dying off. They're dying off and they did not, I don't want to say they didn't do a good job of creating the interest, but it's one of the things you see this a lot of times where these old timers, you know, maybe they didn't have a son to pass it on to or whatever, but they never harbored that relationship with firearms so it was one of those things where yeah dad has guns okay but then you know when dad dies what do we do with his guns man i don't really want them you know that's extremely common i've i've read articles about that all the time and you know case in point the auctions we were talking about that we've seen recently yeah that might just be someone selling their collection but when you see a lot of certain certain of the same firearm that's Mm -hmm. the casual gun buyer doesn't just buy four 
you know Saturday night specials. Yeah, just of the, of the certain certain variety. It's just not mm-hmm. something you see. It's not you collect those. That's something that's a little bit more personal to you. For for it could be that twenty five auto, it could be a thirty two, could be whatever it is. Yeah, but there's 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 some personalization behind these collections, which to me says that a lot of these guys are kind of dying off, and it's unfortunate. And but at the same time, it's passing these guns on to the next generation. The next people, the next set of owners is now getting to experience uh, a Mauser 98K or an M1 Garand or even something like an older muzzleloader, hunting shotgun, Mm -hmm. you name it. Now these guns are going to get passed on, which, like you said, 90% of guns are going to outlive the original owner. And I think it's important, like, if you are passing on guns like that, you know, where you have a, 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 a niche collection where it, it fits a very specific topic that you're collecting for. Explain why, like where your interest came so it makes sense. Like I think I was telling you before, I had I've had a few customers that are really into pocket pistols. And mm-hmm. me as a gunsmith, it's like, eh, they're kind of junk. They never really work right. They're small calibers. They have a very Definitely. uh limited amount of limited amount of uses. But you know what? One guy explained it to me really well that, like, think of the task of the engineer to make something function with as little parts as possible. Like, limit it. Because you can only scale stuff down so small before it starts breaking, before you have to start nixing parts and making, you know, the firing pin do multiple rolls, like act as an ejector, stuff like that. Um, That men's pistol that I just had in, that firing pin spring also doubled as the recoil spring so there was no guide rod with like a recoil spring or anything like that in it so that that gun literally had i think essentially two springs you had the firing pin spring which acted as a recoil spring and a trigger return spring Hmm. that's interesting yeah it's it's super cool when you realize oh that's what does it for this person See, and with that in mind too, engineering standpoint, mechanically, some people may find them just absolutely fascinating on how they oh, work yeah. mechanically. I I spoke to someone a while ago and they were they bought a gun solely because I really wish I could remember which gun it was, but they bought something just because of how it broke down. And they said, I mm-hmm. think that is just so mechanically interesting, I gotta have that. And I was kinda like, Oh, okay. And well we'll start you on some paperwork. And, yeah. you know, I didn't think much of it, but at, you know, again, at that time, now it makes a little more sense to me as, you know, hey, that's what interests them. They like things that are mechanically odd or mechanically unique. So, mm-hmm. so they, that's what they base their hobby around. And that's what a gun is to them. It's a interesting learning tool. And that's the cool thing, especially when you get into like buying new firearms, because we always hear about these old guns that get passed down from grandpa and whatnot. But you have to take into consideration the guns that you buy now. You know, they're they're really an expression of you, who you are, what you're interested in. You know, the the people that are into more mechanical stuff, they they like thinking deeper. They might want a gun that breaks down really intricate, you know, something mm-hmm. unique. Whereas another person that, like you said, it's a tool. They want something simple. It works. I really don't even want to think about my gun other than you know, what the outside of it looks like, you know what I mean? Yep. And, you know, that in and of itself is an expression of them and where their priorities are. You know, I've I've 
talked to some people where they said, oh, there's an external tool. I don't want to do it. I don't want to deal with that pistol. And yep. I, yep. I tend to, I, I tend to used to be of that mindset too, because I always, you know, thought, all right, it needs to be simple. But then you look, not every gun needs to be that simplistic breakdown gun that's going to survive in the middle of, I don't know, the war or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll use an example, like the Ruger PC charger. Okay, okay, versus like the CZ Scorpion. CZ Scorpion, both both platforms are fantastic. They're both great little 9mm guns. Now, the CZ Scorpion is much easier to break down. It's much easier to maintain. You can do it. It's it's basically like an AR. You know, you just kind of drop the, drop the floor, basically drop the bolt, and that's it. And whereas the PC Charger, you have to actually take a screwdriver, unscrew the back, unscrew the front, and drop basically mm-hmm. the lower, then get... And there's a lot that you have to do to actually get to the bolt. I'm trying to actually remember, outside of changing the magwell, if I've ever actually removed the bolt on one. And but again, it's still a it's, relatively it's, simple process. Yes, yeah, it's a it's a simple design, but for someone who's, I don't know, looking to bring this gun, let's say, into an actual military environment or a situation where they're going to need, potentially if a malfunction happens, they're going to need to remove that bolt quick. They're not going to want something like a PC charger because they can't get to that bolt as quick. They're yep. going to want something more like a Scorpion. So a police department or some some other agency is going to be probably more prone to picking something like the CZ Scorpion. But again, it's what the role is for. You know, a PC charger for someone who's just going to the range or you know wants to have a fun little 9mm, that's, that's going to be perfect for them. How often are they going to be breaking it down and cleaning it, especially if the barrel comes apart and two, they're just going to be, you know, hitting it with a little CLP or something. Yeah. So that's going to do the job for them versus someone like a law enforcement agency where they're going to need something where they're going to be doing high round counts every single time. They're going to be wanting cleaning the bolt and stuff like that. It's, it's more of a different application. That gun's not going to fit that role. So mm-hmm. that gun, unfortunately, might not live to a certain standard for someone <laughs> is what I'm getting Yeah, at. and it's one of those things. You know, unfortunately, stuff like that, just the the amount of press it gets and publicity in the market, I guess you would say, from people buying it and talking it up, you know, you, you do tend to see those more complicated guns go by the wayside a little bit. But I don't know. It's one of the things where... Seriously, hold on. You do see like, ahead. some of these complicated guns that I honestly don't understand, like Ruger, for instance, and I'm going to sound like I'm picking on Ruger, and I actually do love the Charger, so don't... Mm-hmm. Don't think it like this, but I don't understand why Ruger pistols are so involved to take apart. Like almost every single Ruger pistol, correct me if I'm wrong, you almost always need like a tool to take them down. And I, I just yeah. don't understand why Ruger yeah. has always been like that. Yeah, Ruger's been notorious for overbuilding stuff. Yeah, and it's so, so but yeah, I again, that that in and of itself is an expression, you know? It's, it's like the guy that goes out and buys a uh, a dually truck because it's it's bigger, you know, it can handle more. Okay, you know, that that's kind of the Ruger personality, you know, bigger, bulkier frame revolver compared to like a Smith & Wesson or something like that. Bigger, heavier coil springs. You know, it's just, I don't know. Like I said, it's an expression of self. Yeah, and I don't know, there's just so much that goes into what a gun can be or what a gun means to someone or could mean to someone. And I think we yeah, just... I mean, especially now when you look at like the craftsmanship. I mean, mm-hmm. talk about price gap. Oh yeah, I mean, look at there's there's a lot of nine millimeter carbines or pistols that I know I will never touch, unfortunately, just due to the price uh the price differential with stuff. But there there's a lot of very innovative designs that someone is willing to 
to spend that money on and get that that platform. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, especially when it comes to like, okay, just throwing it out there, like custom hand built 1911s where everything's hand fit, slide and frame compared to your Rock Island that you can pick up for like, what, 350, 400 bucks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You Rock know? Islands are dirt cheap. And I mean, honestly, go with the yep. sauce. But, but, you know, I'm serious. In my opinion, they work. They're made well. You know what I mean? But they're not crafted. And yeah, there's, there's a difference. They don't have the same art about them. They don't have the same, yeah, style. Exactly. Yes. There's, there's and, the Nighthawk versus a, a, a Rock Island. They are. Yeah. They might be the same platform, things. but they are not the same gun. Exactly. And uh, I love using the 1911 as an example for this because I'm like, shotguns and stuff like that where you start getting more embellishments more engraving color case hardening mm-hmm. stuff like that you could put two blue 1911s down and just without touching them without feeling them you can look and just see the gaps you can see just the sharp lines the sharp edges the corners okay radiuses you know where there's not supposed to be a sharp corner how everything blends it's just it's phenomenal the amount of detail that you can pick out when somebody's crafting it with passion over profit. Mm-hmm. And not not saying that, you know, Rock Island's just strictly going for profit, but they know where they're no, they're they're decent the market is. Yeah. You know, now, the, it it's great that companies offer affordable options. Now, with this question in mind, you you mentioned the nineteen eleven and mm-hmm. this is something we're gonna do more on the nineteen eleven because with what is a gun, I genuinely do have a question is, what is the obsession with the 1911 still? <laughs> I, I Listen, I'm, you know, for, I would really like to know, and I'm not saying 1911s are bad or anything like that, but 1911, the, the platform itself is just not, it's just not a modern platform. I don't care what anyone says. And yes, it might, you may have its role. They're great shooting pistols. They, they shoot, they shoot fantastically. Historically, it was the United States si- sidearm for how long? Uh, served up until Vietnam. Hell, some guys are still using them today, supposedly in circles from what I've been told. So I-, I understand, you know, we like it as a sense of pride, United States pride, in terms of the firearm community. But I genuinely still don't understand why there's still so many guys making them. I, I, ge- I really don't. I don't maybe, understand what Maybe the- it goes back to, like, tradition. Yeah, that, that's a big thing in the gun community where it's like, this is a classic American firearm. We won't let it die. See, you and, know, and they just keep, they just keep making them. You know, I never thought of it like that. That's true. That is, you know, it's an American design. It's a tried and true. Everyone says two world wars, but mm-hmm. you know, the sidearm did not win the world war. I got a news flash for you. <laughs> yeah. The, you didn't, <laughs> it, people, I, I yeah. Yeah, was it Patton said Patton didn't say the M nineteen eleven A one is the best uh, firearm ever made. No, he said the M one Garand was the best uh, battle implement or battle device ever made. So yeah, reel it back it, a second. Again, <laughs> it's one of those things, you know. Going back to what is a gun? You know, I like the nineteen eleven. It is aside. <laughs> for some people. It is about tradition and you know almost like a a way of connecting with the past. You know, like mm-hmm. hey, if my grandfather was out on a deployment. You know, he would have had a 1911. It's a way of me generationally connecting with the past, you know? And that could be your connection to that gun or his, you know, history or something like that. And that's, 
like I had mentioned initially, the the history behind guns, if they could talk, where was that 1911? Was it at Anzio? Was it during, was it there in the bulge? You know, was it was it just a, a an officer sidearm who was sitting back here on base doing his duty? You know, where where was that gun? Yeah. Oh, and I actually <laughs> I have a great it's story. Just fascinating. Um, one of my revolvers that I inherited from my grandfather. Uh, well. One of them that he actually let me have. The other one he let me have for a little bit. Then he's like, I need something to protect the house. Give me that one back. <laughs> but the one he didn't fucking take back from me. You so um, angry that he took the one back. <laughs> no, it's just, it's it's a reoccurring I theme can't. with him. He'll give you something and then like months later be like, hey, you still have that? I need that. So uh, I just have, I just have to press on it. Hey, but uh, you got that, uh, those parts I lent you the other? Yeah. <laughs> 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 like I said, honestly, it's typical with him. So never get rid of anything within like a three month period because he'll probably want it back. Gotcha. But uh, he passed down a uh, what is it? It's a Colt Detective Special, thirty eight special. Uh, it was manufactured in nineteen thirty three, and he can tell you like the exact person that he bought it off of. You know, probably with a handshake back in the day, and it's one of the guns that when him and my grandmother were dating, they would go to the dump to shoot rats. Hmm. Just like as a date. So it's one of those things like that's family history, you know, that that gun helped build my grandparents' relationship. See, that's neat. And it's it's funny you mentioned that too, because my grandfather gave me a couple revolvers too. He didn't take either of them back though. (laughs) I, I got both of them. Uh and one of which was a Colt, which you saw, which was that 38 the the diamond yep, yep. which was cool. Which was when he bought that gun, that was meant for his sidearm as a as a cop up in mm-hmm. Quantic, New Jersey. And he always tells me the story of how years ago his his one friend, I think his name was Pat, they had actually went to you know, he went to go get a gun with him or something like that, and they were in Pennsylvania. And he basically bought it, no problem, put it in a bag and called it a day. And he's just sitting there like my grandfather's like, Oh, what, what is this? You just walked in and yeah. bought a gun? Like, and this is going years back. And he goes, we can't do that. And that was New Jersey years, years ago. Just mm-hmm. food for thought. <laughs> but it's kind of funny was for him, the firearm was he wanted something decent to carry when he was on the job. And he went with something that if God forbid he ever had to use it, decent gun. You know, he wanted yep. to make sure it worked right. And with looking at revolvers too, it's interesting to think as I'm saying that, Automatics were not always the popular guns, nor were they no, the mainstream. Especially back in the day, like, you know, revolvers were where it's at. Revolvers were more reliable, you know? Which was actually funny. I was reading Storm and Steel, I believe it was, which was uh, the one German World War One soldier who actually did Storm, uh, helped with the Stormtrooper tactics in World War One. Fascinating okay. book. But he actually refers to the PO-8 Luger at one point as a revolver. And it actually threw me off on reading. And I, he, I go, the P-8 revolver, what's he talking about? And then I kind of realized, and I was talking to a couple people about it, was pistols really weren't the nomenclature. It really wasn't common. Most sidearms were like the sidearm or a revolver of the day. So he would oh, typically- I didn't think about it. So they yeah. almost didn't know what to call it. it. Exactly. So it was like, oh, go grab your revolver. Where nowadays, someone you'd say, oh, go get your pistol or go get your, your 9mm. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. yeah. So that was the different nomenclature. So- to them, all handguns were revolvers. So a yeah. gun to them, uh, or a sidearm to them was a revolver. As weird as that sounds, that's just, I don't know, just another 
Yeah, no, I, I've, that's interesting. I've never actually heard of that. Yeah, I'll have to find the actual, the book. I actually, a friend of mine lent it to me years ago. Fa- fantastic read, too. Storm and Steel, I believe his name was Ernst Younger. And he was a, uh, you know, he helped do the Stormtrooper tactics in World War One with the uh, mm-hmm. the German Imperial Army. Fascinating, fascinating read. And yeah, it's, you know, to them, they talk about the different guns in there, too. Very, they actually... Now that I think about it, that's really the only time he really talks about the guns outside of rifles shooting the the British the cracks of the Enfields and stuff like that. He often mm-hmm. talks about the sidearms and he mentions them as revolvers, which is kind of funny. Yeah, that that's interesting. So for guys like Ernst Younger or these soldiers you hear about, the the rifle was typically their tool to get through and actually survive to the next day. And some people did grow a little bit closer to these guns, and you see that through through the term trench art for those who aren't familiar with that it's something mm-hmm. it's it's very common in the AK community is where you see oh, yeah. people would carve where they were just different little pieces of stuff on it you see it's extremely common with Yugo AKs yeah I was uh, going to say a lot of the was it the Balkan War stuff oh yeah it's that's honestly, all carved up oh absolutely and that's like if guns had tattoos it would be for the Balkan War <laughs> it would be trench art trench art trench art yeah. is basically gun tattoos in a way I guess, or in a way, yeah, or camo, or yeah, more like more like prison tattoos. <laughs> Not great. <but laughs> trench, so. art, <laughs> trench art is the gun equivalent of a prison tattoo. <laughs> Some of them are interesting, but most of them are just trash. And half the time, after a day or two, you really don't understand what it says. Mm. But <laughs> that's you know, funny. But with trench art, there is some cool. A lot of cool trench art or stuff I've seen people do with rifles. Uh, years ago, there was that during World War One, actually, that one British soldier had actually basically carved into his Enfield and actually made it into an artwork. Look it up. I forget the name of it. Oh, and yeah. yeah, he basically carved into it. And the rifle was actually taken back into, I guess, some officer had actually seen it before it was destroyed and put it in his office. And then years later, it ended up being donated to someone and ended up in a museum in Canada, I believe. And with and the actual soldier saw it, and he's like, "Yeah, that's my rifle." And he was end up actually able to quote the serial number and everything. I'll I'll have to send you a link to the the video. That's on awesome. Words, but for this soldier, he drew that bond, and it was uh, where he was. And you know, he was obviously not too fond of the war and what he was, you know, being forced to do or endure. And so he turned that rifle into something much, much more. He turned it into yeah. A I mean, he, yeah, he turned it into a work of art. And you'll see that with a lot of firearms from that era. I mean, we kind of knock them today because a lot of like a lot of these military rifles did get sporterized, mm. and a lot of them. I know a lot of them weren't done nicely. But take a company like Griffin and Hal, you know, that was building these custom rifles on 1903 Springfield actions. You know, and I mean, you're talking beautiful works of art where you're pretty much taking just the receiver and building everything off of it you, you, you know? see that a lot with the the u.s 1917 as well like uh after yep, the war 1970 because i mean the mausers are notorious for it yep it's unfortunate but you know for a while and i have to reel myself into because i'm a purist at heart when it comes to military surplus mm-hmm. and there was a time when these rifles were just that. They was just the capture gun that, you know, dad brought home. And now we're going to go hunting with it. Or it was Sears had this for 30 bucks. 
you know, this was yeah. the cheapest option. Now I can make it into what I want. I can customize it a little bit more. Home yeah. gunsmith. Think of like think of it like uh, like the cheap Air 15s that are everywhere now, or like okay, Glock 17s. It's like okay, who cares? You know, who cares what you do to it? But then in a hundred years from now, when they're like almost, I don't want to say non-existent, but more scarce, you know, it, one of those things, okay, well, should we have been messing with them back then? Yeah, because they were freaking everywhere. They were dirt cheap. You know, that's just how it is. AR-15s nowadays, they're the, almost the Carcanos of the modern day world, would you say? Ew, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm an AK guy. Shots fired. (laughs) Uh, not well aimed shots. We'll say that. <laughs> oh, well, hey, every Carcano I've ever fired, I don't know where. Well, actually, I do know where the myths come about that, but them being inaccurate rifles. But most Carcanos, that six five platform is extremely. It, it's accurate. I don't care what anyone says. Six five is an accurate. It's an accurate cartridge, and yeah, that's why they keep making them. It, exactly, six five Creedmoor. I mean, six five. It's the base same. The, the rifles might not have been built well, but the cartridge is a good cartridge. Just saying. It's the bee's knees, you might Yeah, the 6.5 Carcano is the bee's <laughs> knees. I know. Uh, but I anyways, know back on topic. <laughs> I know Nick's probably happy I just said that. Oh. <laughs> but like going back to like people turning their guns into works of art. I mean, it's one of those things they saw it as cheap and anything they were doing was an improvement, which you see a lot of people purchasing guns expecting them to appreciate in value and a lot of people get into them solely for investments oh yeah look at that i mean the, okay the banner stuff the yeah the ak's like, and especially st- machine guns oh especially machine guns they get into that stuff i remember when i was in high school you know i was planning on getting a mac 10 like the the original 45 cal mac 10 just because they fucking rip you know they're not oh, yeah. fun guns they're, I shouldn't say they're not fun guns to shoot. They're not comfortable guns to shoot. They're kind of scary. But man, nothing nothing feels like riding the lightning, like having something ripping a thousand rounds a minute that's only, you know, less than a foot long. <laughs> <laughs> and I just really wanted one. And I remember you could buy a transferable one for maybe like $3,500, which for what it was, you know, stamp sheet metal. Yeah, you're talking... A little over three thousand dollars. Now I don't even think you can touch them for under like six or seven. That's that's about right. So and that's that's just how much they appreciate it in that short of a time. You and what's interesting something, is an investment doubling in value. Now what's interesting too is that with the market how it can depreciate too is when it comes to even machine guns. Look at stuff like Shoshos, Maxims, yep. Lewis guns, all these heavy machine guns and stuff like that. There's a trend right now where these are decreasing in value, and yes, because people can't afford them or they can't afford them. to feed them, they, they, they can't, can't afford, afford to feed them. them. Yep. Eight millimeter Mauser, three hundred three British. Um, these I know, I have six. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, tried to hunt down eight millimeter Mauser. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've always sh- bought a lot of eight millimeter Mauser because I shoot a lot of Mausers and stuff like that. But at one point. <laughs> Like, actually, when you texted me and you said, hey, Joe, do you have any uh, 8mm, cheap 8mm Mauser at the shop? I kind of just, I, I chuckled. I laughed so You just so threw your hard. phone aside. And I said, like, cheap yeah, no. 8mm Mauser. There is no such thing as cheap 8mm well, Mauser. This is what I hate being a gunsmith. 
yes, I'll work on your rifle. Now I need to test fire it. Well, shit, I'm not going to test fire with, you know, super accurate ammunition. It's just getting pissed down into a barrel. Mm-hmm. So I need the cheapest stuff I know will work. And I don't want it to be corrosive because I don't want to put any extra steps in my process. Yep, exactly. You know? Plus, with plus with corrosive ammo, and as much as I know for a lot of people, they don't mind cleaning it, you do run that risk if you don't clean it right. Something could happen in rust. And, I mean, even the most... It happens to the best of us. So, I I get being apprehensive with, eight, you know, corrosive 8mm Mauser. 100% understand it. <laughs> yeah. And, again, especially if it's, like, somebody's investment piece. Oh, exactly. They, like, uh, uh, what is it? This one rifle I just had come in a couple days ago, actually. What is it? It's a Sporter Model 98 Mauser. I know. I'm calling it a 98 now. Model 98. So, but before we talk about that real quick, fun fact I learned the other day, mind is blown. The 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 K98, the infamous K98 that everyone knows, they were never actually called K98s. There is Doesn't no resist. Yep, no. On this on the receiver for any 98K, like a carabiner 98, mm-hmm. it's going to say model 98, 98, um M98, something like that. The only time you'll see car 98 or K98 is with the Polish Mausers. Yep. I've been collecting Mausers for years so and now that I never you knew mentioned that, that I've, I deliberately correct myself. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. It's collect them for years. And yeah, it was just, I believe the actual designation was 98K for 98 Carabiner, but they didn't actually mark yep. that on receivers. It was just model 98. Just model 98. Yep. Just like the model 96 before it, you know? Yep. But. <laughs> It's one of those things, Guy brought that in, and I think it was his father's or grandfather's, and yeah, it's got all the Nazi markings. It's a bring back that somebody sporterized fairly well, I might add, you know, stocks, stock styles for a lot of that, uh, the sporterized, I could take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I saw it. It's one of those things that, okay, barrel's shot. The gun's not shooting worth a shit. What do we do? Do we just leave it as is, you know, because this is the way it was, or do we make it an enjoyable rifle to shoot for the next generation as well? Mm-hmm. That's a good question with some guns. Is is the gun is the gun worth saving? Yeah. What's the sentiment, sentimental value versus you know its potential? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know how to how to articulate that. Like, is it's, a gun more valuable, more interesting, more sentimental if you can actually take it out and shoot it? Or is it something you keep in the safe because that's how it was when granddad owned it? Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's there's a lot to think about when I think it comes to these guns. Like, we, we you'll have some people who won't work on some guns if they've been modified in certain ways and stuff like that because they'll just see it as a ruined gun. You saw that with the yep. 1911 recently. Again, going back to yep. 1911s. <laughs> With with the uh, with the the pony was marred off, and I oh I cried when I saw that. Yeah. So okay, yes, that was a horrible job. But you also have almost like the two mentalities where like a lot of times in America here, original finish trumps all. Where mm-hmm. it could be a shit original finish, but it's still original, which I don't get behind. But then you have like the British mentality where shit. Um, almost after like every hunting season, they would send their guns back to the maker. You know, the stocks would get re-oiled, any dents would get steamed out, so the guns look pristine all the time. 
That you know what I mean? Be- and that's like, is it refinished? Yeah, they get refinished like every season. Or I shouldn't say refinished, but like they get work done to them, you know, like, hey, like a car, you know. But then again, I guess you have people that go into cars to the extreme where they're looking at like the markings on each bolt head, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure it's marked correct. The hoses have the right prints on them and stuff like that. Oh, especially so, the older stuff I can imagine. Yup, you'll get people that get into it that deep, but, you know, again, if you have, like, a, what, a 1920s car, do you really care if it has original brakes, or do you want it to fucking stop? Yeah. So, sometimes <laughs> so, it's certain things do trump other things. Is Does practicality trump originality and historical provenance? Yeah. It's... Yeah. Now, great. Yes, some based on like where the gun was if it was a historically significant gun you know lee harvey's leave harvey oswald's carcano i wouldn't go swapping barrels on that i mean yeah that one pretty yeah if you believe you know what it was accurate i mean it could still do the job yeah if you believe the if you believe the the story <laughs> on that note guys I, I hope this episode got you thinking about what a gun is what it means to you is it just is it just a hobby is it your lifestyle is it something that you just carry because you need to is it something that you you like the intricate workings of it is it something you're going to build a business around you know uh, like Tyler and myself for instance I'll, I'll be honest with you I never <laughs> I may have dreamed that I work with guns but I never expected to work with guns so, I don't know about you, Tyler, but yeah, I didn't expect it to kind of become a lifestyle for me. I'm happy it did. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm still amazed this is actually working out at all. <laughs> hey, that's that's a good thing, though. But it just shows that guns are more than just a gun to you. It's a lifestyle. It's, I don't know. You, there, you help people fix their plenty guns. Of people. Yeah, there's plenty of people willing to pay you to keep them running, you know, to make them, to bring them back to their original beauty that was seen generations ago. Exactly. The interest is alive and well, Joey. That it is. And, you know, we got to keep it going for the next generation. Absolutely. On that note, where can they see all the awesome arts of work that you make and you fix up, Tyler? Oh, some of them are arts of work. uh, (laughs) They're works of art. Others, not so much. (laughs) But you guys can find all of my work at www.precisionrifleworks.com. And on the social medias at Precision Rifle Works LLC. Awesome, and uh, you guys can follow me over on Instagram at Sight Picture Seven Six Two, also on YouTube at Sight Picture Seven Six Two, which actually got a little more YouTube content coming for you guys soon. We're gonna, oh, we're gonna yeah. share, we're gonna share you guys a little bit. That's a that's a side project we got coming up here. So we'll talk more about that soon. And make sure you can stay tuned and find that information by following us at acrosstheguncounter.com or on Instagram at acrosstheguncounter. Which then. we'll be posting more, I promise. Yes, yes, yeah. Because now Tyler's gonna be, Tyler's gonna be helping. <laughs> so, because <laughs> I'm bad at the social for media. all the random gun porn. Ooh, I like gun porn. So, mm-hmm. all right, guys. Until next time, take care. See ya. Mm-hmm.